Welcome along, it's the October edition of All Things Techie with myself, Justin Dawson, and my co-host, Simon Lang, who's in a remote location in the west of Ireland. We'll be telling you more about that shortly. If you'd like to get in contact with the programme, you can do so by visiting our website, www.allteenstech.ie for All Things Techie. You can tweet me at Justin or Dawson. You can tweet Simon at Simon Lang AV and... Uh, you can use the hashtag All Things Techie. All Things Techie Podcast, brought to you by two tech junkies, Justin Dawson and Simon Lang. For more, visit www.allthingstech.ie for All Things Techie. We have a great program lined up for you. We will be interviewing the one and only Mad Sound Guy, aka Chuck Espinoza from Evixa. He will be joining us later on in the program. But first, we want to talk to you about Google turning 20 and uh, 20th anniversary of Google. We'll be talking more with Simon Lang about this. But do you remember the days, listeners, where Google actually broke the internet? Yeah, kid you not, though. In- one day in 2009, a programmer at Google accidentally took down the internet by placing a forward slash, which was mistakenly added to Google's registry of blocked websites. Now, just think about it, listeners. How many websites have a forward slash in them? A lot. A lot. Especially if you have an index, forward slash index.html or forward slash index.php. It took down a lot of websites. And uh, that was... Back in the days of 2009, seems like a lifetime ago, Samsung and Apple have been fined this month. Did you hear about this? Because they actually admitted um, it wasn't the customer's phones, it was actually them. Apple was hit with a 10 million euro, 8.8 million pound fine, while Samsung received a smaller bill bill of 5 million euro uh, apple and samsung implemented unfair commercial practices the italian competition authority said in a statement software updates were said to have slowed down the performance of older phones if the italian authorities have started this and um have sued samsung and apple for this amount of money can't every european country in fact every global company country decide to sue apple and samsung for slowing down phones like what what are what are they going to do for the customer are they going to offer them money back are they going to offer a discount if they notice that your slow phone is slower well the plan to appeal samsung said it was disappointed with the decision and it would make an appeal they said quote samsung did not issue a software update that reduced galaxy note for performance a spokesperson said in contrast samsung has always released software updates enabling our customers to have the best experience possible and apple was fined more than samsung because the tech giants also failed to tell customers important details about iphone batteries including how to prolong their lifespan both firms must publish a declaration in their italian on their Italian websites telling consumers of the authorities' decision. Last year, Apple confirmed that it deliberately slowed down some older iPhone models because their battery performance diminished over time. It argued that it would prolong the life of the devices, the older devices, that is. 
The following month, French prosecutors launched a probe over accusations of planned obsolescence in iPhones, a judgment that is yet to be delivered um, in, in the French court. Well, what do you think, listeners? Let us know. Um, old phones, is Samsung, is, is Apple slowing down their phones and what they should be doing about it? Allteenstech.ie is our website and uh, you can get in contact with us there. We hear of other p- audiovisual podcasts that broadcast from coast to coast like AV Smackdown with Mark Coxon and Chris Netto. Well, we're going coast to coast this time, this month, from Dublin, Ireland to County Clare, where Simon Lang joins me. Hi, Simon. Simon, I have to give you a pair of these as well. These are really cool. Oh, these are the AV Award glasses. These are the AV Award glasses, which also come... I have to hold this up to the, the camera. It comes oh. bottle opener on the side, on both sides of the glasses. Just in case you break one side of your glasses. You, can... you don't want to catch your ears and those will be trying to open your ears. They might open the cap. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, you know what? Uh, don't give them to children. I, even though I want to give ones to to uh, to Rebecca. I um, yeah. You, like, can you imagine just like stealing these off your child's head to just go? Sorry, hold on. Daddy has to do something and opening a bottle. Yeah, really good presents. Avi Awards, uh, listeners. Unfortunately, you didn't win the award, but you know what? Being pipped against in the final five, seven hundred entries. Uh, 72 different countries, I think it was, that AV Smackdown talked about. And um, getting into the final five was awesome. Also, Simon, we had the uh, a great tour around during the month. This has been a crazy month. Busy, busy, busy month. And that's why we're like T-minus like a couple of days before the end of October doing this uh, podcast. But we were in the convention center. I, and you I just so everyone knows, in Dublin. In Dublin, yeah, yeah, yeah. We have one convention centre in Dublin. Yeah, yeah. So uh, in, in Ireland, actually, probably. In, in Ireland as well. Um, but uh, where where the elections were uh, doing all their polling uh, collections at the moment, go Michael D, go our little Irish leprechaun back in presidency again. But uh, we, we were in there during the month of October for the Evixa Dublin Roundtable. And we've seen a behind-the-scenes tour of the convention centre, which was pretty awesome, wasn't it? It was brilliant. We got to see how they do things and how they run tables and the geeky stuff of AV that we always like to talk about and uh, get our hands dirty with and um, and a truck lift. Yeah, I think I think that just just to tell all our listeners, I think this truck lift just absolutely astounded everyone. Like they just as soon as they seen the the fact that they can fit a full eighteen wheeler truck on the bottom floor in the basement and bring it up to the top theater and unload it, it's just the the amount of space. Like you know, I was even joking with some of the Evixa guys and just said, "Well, could you imagine like a guy just comes in with his his couple of pizzas or something on the little hand truck, say." In this big, vast open space, which they like, takes up about the width of three, uh, well, the, the width of an eighteen-wheeler truck. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the most massive lift that I've seen ever, um, and I think we, I think we've seen the weight of the actual lift as well. It was a couple of tons. It was like three or four tons. 
So uh, we were just trying to equivalent how many people we could actually fit into this lift. Yeah, no, it was humongous. And they, they use it for all their shows and they even like their car shows. They fill it with a few cars and bring it up to any floor. So they do, they said they've done quite a few car launches on different floors. It doesn't have to even be the ground floor. Mm. So it reminds you of some kind of fast and furious moment of you driving a car into a car lift and then coming out somewhere else. And I just love like We know the space between in the basement for the 18 wheel trucks. I think it's they must be the most skillful truck drivers to be able to back an 18 wheeler truck into a lift. Um, yeah. it's, it's scary enough trying to back up an 18 wheeler truck, but to back it up into a lift that's going to go up three stories and then, and then come out on the, on the floor and be able to unload it is, is something special. Oh yeah. It's amazing what they can do, isn't it? Um, but you know what? I was just thinking then afterwards, like, the, the the floors must be really really well constructed that can hold that weight. Yeah, and uh, you know, when we think about like we've seen that place packed for Comic Con, think yeah. of the amount of thousands of people that are in there. So it's been able to handle all that weight and all the exhibition stands and everything. You know, so it's quite a venue. And as as we were always told, it was built. The building was built around the AV Tech where most times we look at installations, it's actually the, the tech is trying to squeeze into the building. Yeah, you will not see any open cable running across the floor. That's, that's yeah. the way we, we, we'll look at it. And above head as well. It's so neat, so clean. Brilliant place. But getting to the actual workshop, it was all on mindfulness. Now, have you been using anything that you've practiced into, on the day into effect? Yeah. Well, some of it. I think the, the key one I've been is about kind of living in the moment stuff yeah. and kind of trying to stand on the train and think about just standing on the train and whatever I'm listening to versus the 50 zillion things I should be doing in work or at home or something like that. That's true. That's true. And and we, like, you know, we have been reflecting that off mic. It is a long bank holiday weekend here in Ireland. So we decided we'd try and get this recorded in the most... Uh, we just type a way to get a podcast out, but you know what? If you if they get bored listening to us, we have to remind them we have a great guest speaker coming up. The one, the only Chuck Espinosa, Espinosa, Mad Sound guy, is going to be coming up in this podcast. So uh, they can't fast forward though. We're, we're going to re- we're going to restrain them from fast forwarding this this episode. I think we have. To- no, they can listen to our rambles for a while. Yeah, rambles for a while because. The month of October has been so crazy. ISE 2018 is... 2018? We've done ISE. 2019, come on. 2019, yeah. 2019 in Amsterdam. You know what? You're going to be so busy um, with it with training that you're not going to be able to attend. I'm, I'm very upset. No, I'm hoping to, but I don't know yet because uh, I do love it and I, it's great to kind of catch up on what's going on and to see what's happening on the restaurant stand or wherever. I still registered and got my ticket, so I'm still in hope, but who yes. knows at this point? Who knows at this point? But like, hopefully, hopefully he might, time might be able to attend. I will be attending. Um, I have actually been asked uh, to present at a flash track with the Vixa. 
I can't tell you anymore apart from the fact that it's going to be 20 minutes of you listening to me, which is shorter than this podcast, which you, you must be delighted to hear that. And <laughs> you, you only have to listen to 20 minutes of me if you should you want to in Amsterdam. Uh, coming up in the program, Windows 10 updates. And th- this was crazy. We don't like the amount of Windows 10 updates, Simon. But then... We don't like it even more when you find out that it's actually deleting some of your old files. I was reading the background on this. This is really weird. It's like it's actually from a previous update. So on a previous update, they kind of made these files as backups, and in this and then it didn't delete them. They're like temporary temporary backups. And then in this update, they decided they were going to delete those temporary backups. But it mixed them up and deleted the actuals and the temporary backups. Something along that line. Yeah, so it was a big mess up in in Microsoft's words. Now, I think I think the world of media sort of went overkill on it. That if it is just the actual files of Microsoft temporary folders, and it's deleting that, it's not deleting any of your essential documents. But I actually think it was, it was personal data that they created into a temporary location as part of the backup to ensure just in case you lose it or something like that. But um, it was still, it doesn't matter if you're going to lose a music file to a system file, it's still a big deal because it's don't, they, people don't like to hear files are being deleted without us knowing. Well, as it's a post-mortem problem. Um, they said that issues of data loss were tied with Windows feature called known folder redirection. It's similar to another feature called known folder migration, where known folder known to Windows 10, this is like documents or pictures, it's migrated to OneDrive. See, again, you know, I have to actually admit, I have never used OneDrive and I don't want to for a sense um, I, I just think okay this is Windows this is my operation system and keep it locally and then split up what I need to have on the cloud well I'm a Google person I, I use Google Cloud for a lot of stuff would, would you switch to using Google OS for stuff um, Google Chrome OS sorry Chrome OS if you, if you had the choice I haven't gone there yet but I, I tell you, I have seen a how-to video of how to split your laptop and put on a Chrome OS and or some type of Android operation system and have Windows partitioned at the same time. And you can t- pick and choose what you want. So do you know what? I want to give that a go. I want to do that in the next month or so and, and let our listeners... What about yourself? Have you... Yeah. No, I haven't, but it was kind of because I know it's coming up later in one of our topics. We might talk about the Pixel Slate, so which is a Chrome OS system, um, and that's kind of where my head originally looked into it. And I, I, it's one of those ones I'd be interested to know how to use. But I, problem is, if you're like me, we have a lot of Windows applications that we like to use, and I haven't found the Chrome or the Android version of it that works as well. So, and I like my Windows from for my applications, but I don't like it because it's so many updates and it's so intrusive. 
yeah and do you know what i found even the times where i've turned off the windows updates somehow or other at times it gets switched back on and especially as the two of us provide av support which sometimes actually a lot of the times overlaps it the worst thing that can happen is when you go off and you're trying to demo a presentation to someone you open up a laptop and you see those dirty dirty words windows is performing an update it is the most horrible thing yeah or, or the one we ran into is the notification popping up across the screen so we've actually had to turn those off on everyone's laptops because because in the company i work for we use also google slides and there's no way of stopping those notifications appearing across your presentation which could be anyone from your ceo down to your junior worker and it's very it's very distracting and you're sitting there going johnny has just sent you a mail johnny has just invited you to a meeting about your appraisal oh the appraisal has been also rejected lifted, whatever. <laughs> All this kind of stuff. So you could actually have personal notifications appearing on screen and when you're in the middle of a meeting. That's, and, that's and good. Is, is that easy to turn off? Is it the fact that you can turn that off um, and it will stay off? Because this is, this is why we come into this difficulty where we notice that when you have ticked this button and we launch your system, it can miraculously be back on again. Yes, that's where that lovely Windows update comes in and turns things back on for you. Yeah, uh, but there there is types of software that you can get, uh, like device freeze and stuff like that, which freezes the operating system in a set way and, oh, deep freeze, I think it's called, that uh, freezes your operating system in a, a certain way. Um, but it does mean every time that you do an update you need to actually make another clone of your operating system and run it again um, handy to some extent but cumbersome in in other ways yeah it sounds more for someone who's into your like maybe forensic investigation kind of stuff that needs that but i think the average joe so probably wouldn't bother with something like that yeah, it should be simple and take note, Microsoft. Like people are getting annoyed of, and I'm sure they are. Like, but can you imagine you're the first person that rings up Microsoft and say, "No, all my files have gone missing since I updated the patch." They're like, "Yeah, yeah, well, you know, you obviously didn't That's update." Did, and did you did you make a backup before you started? Blah blah blah. Yeah, all this type of stuff. How how did they actually go? Oh wait, hold on. All our customers are right. It is actually deleting files off the computer. I, I don't know. They must have a kind of level of, if we get one complaint, whatever, if we get 150 complaints, or if we get 1,000 complaints, yeah, then we, that's we taking note of things. Yeah. yeah. Or do they have someone trolling Twitter? <laughs> yeah. Uh, it also, uh, talking about Google, you, we, we've been on the, the topic. Can you believe it's been Google's 20th birthday in, in the month of October? I, like, uh, do you know what was funny? I went I went off to um, in my other pastime listeners, I'm a scout leader. I went up to the national headquarters Lartill, 
uh, in Portuguese Ireland that they were doing Jamboree on the air and Jamboree on the internet. And I was trying to explain to little 10-year-olds the world before broadband, where we had dialed up connections and they 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 just really didn't get the the concept. And, you know, like it's hard to believe that like 20, 20 years ago it makes us feel old, Simon. We were like, oh. you know. Well, I remember some of my college assignments being submitted on um, floppy disks. Yes, on floppy disks, and and the fact that we we searched this type of stuff, and everyone used the same clip art, listeners. And it would have been, if you were lucky, Windows 95 or Windows 98. And we also had the encyclopedias. And it all came on one CD. One CD had this encyclopedia of clip art and did half of your school projects. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and we got away with it for years. And the teacher must have been bored out of her head looking at the same black men holding a light bulb or something like that. I think that was the image I've seen the most. Yeah, I think no, that's, that's one that we have to ask our listeners. What was the most overused clip art image that you can remember from 20 years ago? Let us know. Uh, we better give out our uh, email addresses and uh, Twitter handles. It's at Justin or Dawson if you want to get in contact with me. Simon reminded himself of what his Twitter handle was before the program. What is it, Simon? That's Simon Lang AV. And uh, you can use the hashtag, uh, which is hashtag all things tech e for all things tech e or website www.allthingstech.ie. Because the Pixel Slate was um, recently promoted at an event where they were showcasing all some of the new hardware and mm. um, coming and the Pixel Slate is in the the description falls somewhere between the Apple Air or the uh, iPad Pro with a keyboard and the um, Surface Tablet. And it's a kind of a middle of the ground and it's on a Chrome environment for Chrome OS. And it seems to be very slick and they seem to be pushing for the desktop environment and getting people into that. It's still a mobile device in the sense of it's a tablet, but it also can work as a desktop with a keyboard. Now, is it as big as some of this new iPads that are just like 10 inch, 12 inch, which is just, in my view, it's the size of a tablet. It's getting bigger and bigger and it's getting ridiculously big. Yeah, like and I was looking at an iPad Pro one day in work and I was like, this is like humongous. It's maybe bigger than my laptops, uh, um, even when my laptop's closed. You know, like the screen. How much bigger of a screen do you need next to when you're turning around with a 50 inch screen in your pocket? Well, <laughs> you know, it's getting to the stage, Simon, that I, I can't justify a big surface or any of these devices simply because that you get one and there's hardly any ports on it. And people say, oh, but I, I want it for traveling. It's like, yeah, but you're going to have to carry all these additional extras to allow you to be able to take your presentation that you probably worked on all the time on the plane and zip it off and put it on a USB key. No, because I, that's the thing. I actually, um, there's a guy I work with and he's at uh, Surface all the time. And it looks really nifty and cool in a meeting when you pop it out and your keyboard's attached to it and pick your pencil up and all like that. It is, it is kind of nifty. From that point of view, and I do like the way it's 
just aren't kicks out of the back and all like that. But I do like it from a visual aspect on the go. Let's say I have, my, I have a laptop. I think the problem is a laptop has a little bit of robust to it. Yeah. Where I think the surface is a little bit mm, not yeah. quite as robust is probably the word I would use. So, with also Google, Google had its uh, its problems during the month. Even with all their twentieth anniversary celebrations, they've cancelled Google Plus. Google Plus is no more, and simply because they uh, found that areas of the site could be manipulated and people could see too much stuff, um, and it. It goes in line with the GDPR uh, that it could be a data breach. Now, they don't say that they didn't say that there was actually any data breach. They just identified it beforehand, I believe. Yeah, and I think like if it was if there was an actual data breach, where we would all have known about it. So I think they might. I think they must have managed to capture it and plug it at such before it became a big deal. Um. The fact that hardly anyone is using Google Plus. I yeah, yeah. This, this is what comes into mind, Simon. I I don't know how many years Google Plus has been on the go, but it sort of at the time tied in with Facebook. Uh, when I was looking at the alternatives to Bebo, do you remember Bebo? Yeah, the alternatives to Bebo, and um, it. It seems that like the the whole idea of having circles and Google circles, it really never caught on. Yeah, I think they were trying to be Bebo, Facebook. Um, this is their equivalent. It just was awful because it was really tied into Google Talk. Yeah, which was ahead of was their first kind of whatever they call Hangouts now or Meet or whatever you want to call it now. So it was their first instant chat, I think. Yeah, as, as well. So it was. Yes, they were trying it didn't work. So they, I think they just went a different route and decided leave it there, but they'll really develop it. I think it became quite big in business. Mm. But um, even businesses are not going to be interested in it now after this. Well, situation. you know what? It's sort of like it was there for business and networking, and then a big social network for business came on and that was LinkedIn and I think LinkedIn just went after the professional market of, mm. um, so I I don't think it was ever something that was going to catch on I think do you know I don't think they maybe I'm wrong maybe I'm wrong I don't think they invested much into the whole Google Plus no I think so once they realized they weren't going to capture the market that they just left it there, but didn't really put any major development into it. Um, the Pixel 3 slate looks absolutely, or Pixel 3 XL by Google looks absolutely massive. That's the new phone. They're, that's the one they're trying to compete with, um, like the iPhone Pluses, I think. Yeah. It's trying to be that big, like um, one of my phones in my hand. It's a Eight plus, so it becomes it's somewhere not quite a published, but not far off a published. Yeah, do you know what? I can't understand it yet again. Why are we going bigger and bigger with phones as tablets? You know, um, bring it back and and the expense as well, listeners of 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 phones. 
we've, we've discussed yeah. it in previous episodes. And, and not to cause um, a controversial issue, but um, we also know his pockets and clothes are getting smaller, smaller, smaller. So you're getting bigger, bigger phones and smaller, smaller pockets. So we, d- we just start making a sort of a fabulous bag for your, uh, that you wear over your shoulder, like a handbag or something. <laughs> and, and, like, it, it just brings us back to that friend episode. It's a man bag. It's not a handbag. It's a man bag. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's probably. I did hear a rumor. I don't know if it's true that the bigger phones were actually pointed towards the women more because they're handbags. But I don't know if that's true. Because I think guys like the bigger phones too sometimes for computer gaming. Yeah, maybe. But again, it goes down to the route of are you buying a phone or are you buying a, a actual gaming device? Mm. We welcome your comments. Um, to be honest, I can't see myself going from my Samsung S7 until it breaks down. And that does the job for me. Which is funny because I, I know it jumps way ahead, but I think Samsung S10s were mentioned when it comes to the 5G, which is one of those topics later on. Yeah, now, we, we're talking about internet connections, and um, you had to even swap your internet connection there and run it off your mobile out in the sticks in County Clare, um, whereas I have somewhat a decent internet connection going on here. Mm. At the, um, but Air had its problems during the months, Simon, where they... They pretty much blamed it on a DNS setting, but it knocked out the whole country. Yeah, I think it was like their DNS server. Or servers failed or something like that, but it just shows you. I don't know enough about networking to understand a little bit what DNS does, but I guess it must be influential enough to cause this level of disruption. Well, the, the, some of the comments that were on uh, media sites was, okay, if it's a DNS setting, surely you've had some type of backup system. And to be quite honest, it went to the stage where no one could actually even get through to Air's phone support to find out that there was an issue. And they did resolve it very quickly, but people were left confused going, well, why couldn't they send out a text message across their systems to say that they were having issues. And it goes back to good old-fashioned customer support. Yeah, it's just take a few people in a room and they can get through a few calls a minute and everyone else is left on hold. Sounds like a good call centre, really, doesn't it? Yeah, well, that's it. And you know what? Um, we, we're going to go on to the topic, as you mentioned, of 5G internet connections. But we're still in the world, Simon, where we were hope we were told by the ministers uh, that they're going to improve broadband to the rural areas, like down the country, like County Clarence and so forth. But it's come down to one network provider, and now it's sort of like there's questions about how unstable that. Uh, contract and tender is going going to be. So are we still back at square one, if not square minus one? Uh, trying yeah. to, trying I don't know. Because, for example, like where I am, the issue being is they can get fibre 
to the um I have just forgotten the name. The local place where all the connections come to, and then they divide it out amongst the houses. Okay. I, I'm, not, I'm going to remember the words somewhere in the middle of this conversation. And um, But the problem is the connections between there and the houses are so old, they're not able to handle the fiber broadband. So that means they only need to redo cablings to every house. Mind, every exchange. That's it. Okay. To every exchange. So. Yeah. It's the only way come there eventually, and uh, so this is the big problem. It's like, like it's okay for me in a house in Kildare or you in Dublin, where we have fiber running through the whole place and right up to your front door, they can give you fiber. But when you're down here and you have to go three miles down a laneway just to give some guy fiber, is it I worth the money? It should be a given regulation that's put in place that I know that's they try and bring out rules that no house should be under a 10 meg system. Well, mm. you know what? All new houses that are being built should have fibre being brought to it. Like you, you see Vodafone advertising gigabit broadband. You see a load of gigabit broadbands being advertised. And then we're the only house on the street that can't get virgin media, you know, for broadband. Or oh, sorry, uh, in the housing state rather, that can't get Virgin Media broadband. So we have to go with Air, or we have to go with Vodafone. Now, and at at the fastest speed that I can get into this house is a hundred meg. Um, so, which might then um, interest because when we were talking about our five G, I was kind of reading up the maths, uh, the maths, the techie stuff behind it. So, okay, so four G at the moment. Theoretically, if you could get max 4G, you're getting 300 megabytes per second. Okay. If you have 5G, they reckon they could get anything up to a gig per second, which is what I get at my desk in work. Wow. Okay. So if you think about that, that is, they said it's like more than 10 times the speed. So Ideally, if your house is Vodafone running off a Vodafone router with a Vodafone SIM, you should be getting faster broadband than um, even some of the version providers are at the moment. But um, again, that's just theoretically that changes when you have an area in in a housing estate which has a hundred houses with maybe up to four devices per house, yes. 400 devices. So you can see how wide, you'll never theoretically get your full 5G, one gig connection. Yeah, and you're, and you're not going to get it over the air either. Um, like, But having said that, Simon, like I've been in remote areas of Switzerland and found that my 4G connection was faster than the broadband connection that was going into my room where I was staying. Um, and that, again... It shows it, you, it depends on, I guess, the infrastructure in the area. We, ne- we never figured out just how much money the ISE brings into a country, Simon. So when it does move to... And apparently, ISE was always talked about as one of these things that was supposed to be a roadshow that would move from country to country across Europe. And now it is going to land in Spain in 2020. Uh, now, so it's the last, uh, or 2021, was it? Yes, 2021. Yes. Um, 
So in the last couple of years of ISE being in Amsterdam, what are you hoping to, to see? I, I, think, I think this time I need to step outside the Rye and actually see Amsterdam properly. I've, I've gone from the train station, the plane to the train to the Rye and back again. I have actually, people keep going, how is Amsterdam? Well, I've seen a big convention centre. Yeah, and you never actually explored the canals and all that stuff that you see lovely people taking their Instagrams of all oh, this lovely canals and things and food and it's like that exists. Um, you hear stories about Amsterdam and what exists in Amsterdam, but we've never actually gone out exploring it and seeing what it was like. I actually want to see the Heineken Museum. I want to actually go inside and see, you know. And, and, and see how they make Heineken, just like people like to come to Ireland and see how they make Guinness. But like, joking aside, like we did go inside the convention centre in Dublin, but we don't have any type of facilities in Ireland that could host such a big scale as Integrated System here. No. no. Our biggest, one of our biggest places called the RDS in Dublin would fit in one hall yes. in the right. Exactly. That's that's the kind of equivalent Dublin of Dublin has. So, so well, I, what blows my mind is the location of Vonta in Spain is you can fit the Rye into a few halls of that, and it still has space to do another couple of conventions inside it. Yeah. So, in other words, I'm hoping they're going to give free segues in the first year of it going to Barcelona. Now, this is the fact that there's travelators <laughs> in, in the new place, so it, that says how big it is. Like, I, I, I can just imagine the two of us going around in Barcelona and we're on a travelator, and like something that attracts our attention that we're going to have to be jumping off the travelator mid, mid, yeah. mid flight or mid journey, mm. you know, or. Uh, you we you know those type of videos that we've seen before, Simon, where uh, people are in the airport and they're pretending to be cycling on bikes and they're humans just lying down and cycling and going nowhere. Going nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think I think yeah. that's what we'll have to do. Um, but I think like you asked me like what else would I like to see? Like there's th- things I haven't seen. I see I've never gone near the drone zone or back. That part of it, AR and the VR stuff, and some parts I don't really have a need for my job. But um, and then exploring the audio area, I've literally ran to the companies that I need to see at Soundesk and walked away again. I haven't actually gone and looked around. And I think this year, if I was or 2019, if I was gone, it was more of a personal interest than work related. Well, Simon, we're going to. Link over to uh, the mad sound guy. He is our main guy to talk to this month on allthingstech.ie and for all things techie. But uh, if you got all our listeners have any comments that they want to make or anything that they've seen in the past month, AV wise or tech wise, or they want to comment on how Microsoft updates are completely destroying them and how they get around with it without throwing their laptop off a cliff um, they can get it yeah or if they've got their hands on a pixel slate or a pixel XL or those ones and tell us what they think of them and uh, would it be any good for AV work 
yeah, or um, if they want to give us like one of the big picks up phones, they can do so too. Oh yeah, definitely. I wouldn't have no problem testing that. Like, we, we, we have no problem testing the base. If they if they give it to us for free, we have no problem testing these things out. So from the sticks of County Clare, where um, we love we love his backdrops, Zion's backdrop there, very white background, and uh, yeah, and big windows. And yeah, big manor house, you know me. I'm I'm living it up. I, I, I can guarantee that Simon's like in his boxers under the big turf fire in the corner here, and that he's heating himself up before having his, his glass of vodka and coke. My mm, wish. <laughs> Thank you very much for Simon Lang for joining us. A bit of a distant connection um, with Simon over in uh, County Clare. Well, that just shows you that the internet connections aren't the best down in the west coast of Ireland. And hopefully one of these days, the government will bring out the broadband plan to Ireland. But we won't hold our breath. Earlier in the month, the mad sound guy, a.k.a. Chuck Espinosa from Avixa, gave some of his time up to talk to me about how he got involved in AV. This was a fantastic interview to have with the mad sound guy, Chuck, and uh, have a listen. Well, thank you for having me on, Justin. It's uh, a pleasure and it's an honor to be on your uh, your show. Um, I'll jump right in. So... Uh, I am Chuck Espinosa, the Mad Sound Guy. I am a senior staff instructor here at Avixa. And uh, the way I got into this, it's kind of the, the crooked road. Um, when I was in high school, I was a musician. And that was the thing that I liked to do. And uh, as well as being a musician, I wanted to be a on-the-road musician. So I took a bit of uh, advice from somebody that said, if you want to do it, do it. So I went on the road, I joined, uh, at a very young age, I joined the Musicians Union. I was uh, 15 and uh, uh, performing musicians in, uh, performing musician in the union. I was, uh, I put in for a, a spot to do cable rolling and just basic, you know, uh, stagehand stuff at 15. Uh, couldn't do a lot because I was still underage, but I, I, uh, I did what I could. And I learned a lot on the, in the summers, went on tours and whatnot, and uh, learned the proper way to roll a cable, learned what that cable plugs into, and that was step one. Mm -hmm. um, when I left high school, I, I was not going to college. Uh, I was very poor, and, you know, I – my family was a, a lot of military people and the big thing was join the military. And it was also the time of desert shield and desert storm. So there was always that calling of, you know, uh, your father was in the military, your grandfather was in the military, your uncles were in the military. It's a thing to do. So I did. And, uh, what I didn't know was, uh, when you get there, they ask you a bunch of questions and they keep you up real late in the Marine Corps. They, they really try and run you through the paces and they asked me if I played an instrument. And I said, yes. So they, uh, halfway through boot camp, I go down and audition and, um, they came and said, Hey, you know what? That you're great that you want to help out your country and your nation, but you could play music. You have a gift that not everybody has and you could motivate people. And in the Marine Corps, you still have to go out to the field and do all this stuff. That the, the, you know, the, Infantry Marines, do you have to go on deployment, et cetera, et cetera. I think in the Marine Corps now, it's actually a mandatory thing that you have to do a deployment once every four years at the okay. very minimum. So 
got into the Marine band, uh, went through the school, came out, went to my band and, uh, I was playing guitar in the rock band and in the Marine Corps, what they did with the audio engineer is they picked somebody who wasn't in the rock band. So they got like a clarinet player, a French horn player at the time, and they put him behind the console and said, run it. And that would be like taking anyone off the street and putting them behind a console and saying, go. Yeah. And not only that, Chuck, we know as AV folk, you get a clarinet player behind a mixing desk. They don't know how to, to balance out the bass drum or something like that on a, on a mixing desk. Yeah, well, not if, if they haven't been trained. If you haven't been trained in anything, like if you, you could put me on a, a, a underneath a Ferrari and I'm a pretty good mechanic. I work on my Hummer all the time, but I don't know a feather duster from a duck's butt when it comes to a Ferrari. Right. Uh, so I would mess it all up. I'd, and I'd be like, I, I don't know. Yeah. So I respectfully asked the Sergeant that was behind the console. I've had a little bit of training. Do you mind if I tune that up? And he said, please do. Um, that was the beginning of me never playing again because <laughs> Uh, they found out that I had knowledge of live sound, of electrical, of recording, stuff like that. That was very much needed. Mm-hmm. So I kept uh, um, kept doing that and going from band to band and doing sound and training sound techs. And uh, when I finally I got to Quantico, they said, do you want to train sound guys? And I said, yes, I do. So they gave me a little school. Um, at the same time, I was also a marksmanship instructor. They found out that I could shoot really well. And um, I went through instructor training, just any basic instructor training, you know, how to, how to present, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, so I put the two together. So I spent part of my time as a marksmanship instructor training Marines how to shoot, part-time training sound guys and going on the road with the band, doing recordings. Um, after that, got out of the Marine Corps. You know, they found out that it's cheaper to make sound guys or get sound guys out of the house. So they wanted to try that for a little bit. They actually, I talked to a lot of guys now and they ended up making part of it at the School of Music where we go to basic training for the Army, the Navy, and the Marine Corps. Uh, basic musician training. There's classes now for sound guys. So it kind of took off, uh, especially for the Marine Corps. Um, got out and didn't know what I was going to do. I could shoot and do sound. So, um, started doing live sound for bands around and traveling around. And, uh, at one point in time, my, uh, now ex-wife said, you you know, you gotta get a real job. You just can't be a sound guy your whole life. We need insurance. You need a 401k, et cetera. That's that's a great line that we're going to use as a quote in in this, in this podcast. You can't get a real job. Sound engineering is not a sound technician. is not a real job. Yeah. Little did I know. Right. So, I mean, I thought it was a real job. I had a lot of fun doing it and made good money. Um, although I worked Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night and Sunday morning. And like the rest of it was just having fun, getting gear together and building racks. I didn't think that was work. That was actually just fun. Yeah. Don't tell anybody that now though, cause they won't pay me for that anymore. So, um, got a job as a tech found out there was a lot of market for technicians um especially with top secret clearances working with the government stuff but the one thing i thought was really weird is when you went someplace as a technician the only really kind of sop you had standard operating procedure for what you should do was the guy next to you that had been there for a little bit longer Mm -hmm. um in the military we, we have an sop for everything if you want to do a job you had a book that said this is how you do the job 
So uh, I got my CTS and uh, and really was kind of distraught. So uh, I got my eye, got my CTSI, learned a, a lot of good stuff. I attended the install course with Tom Care. Tom Care was actually my teacher. Um, and uh, did well in the install course, got my CTSI and said, I, I want to help the industry. I really think for installers, there should be some book. Well, they just happened to be working on the installation handbook at the time. So my now vice president, uh, my boss, who was, uh, uh, man, I think she was a coordinator back then for the uh, training development department, maybe a curriculum developer. She said, well, we need a volunteer to help us write this book, this basic SOP manual for technicians. And I jumped on it. And um, now, and we have been great friends ever since. And this is like oh, 2006, okay. you know, it's really nice to be you know, friends with your vice president for over a decade. It makes for a, an incredible working relationship. Mm -hmm. Um, so I started getting involved with Infocom. Uh, they asked me to come back and adjudicate the CTSI test since I was local and I kind of knew some of the things that did well in my test. And they said, you kind of know what we're looking for. Would you mind doing this? Sure. Come back. Adjudicated the test when they decided to take the test ANSI, um, to the American National Standards Institute. Um, I didn't want it to do that. Uh, it was a hands-on test that I thought should remain hands-on. And I was convinced that it was members like me who could ask the proper question to yeah. somebody to see if they knew if uh, how to terminate cables. I can ask you a question to, to know if you know how to terminate cables or you're just kind of stringing me along and talking a good game. I know if you know how to balance the sound system. I can ask you those questions. Mm -hmm. So... I took it as my responsibility to keep that standard high by asking the right questions. Uh, during this time, I was a tech, I was a lead tech, got my CTSI, leading a lot of jobs. They wanted me to be a project manager. I really didn't want to. I like turning wrenches. Mm -hmm. um, I got my CTSD on the, on the one promise that they wouldn't keep me in the office and still let me go to the field. So I started doing a lot of QA stuff, got my CQT, ISFC, like, leveled up on my journey mm -hmm. um till i finally got into a job i was uh, recruited to be an executive and, and uh, uh recruited to to run a department and uh i came into a department that was very young and they needed some help with the process etc cetera, etc cetera. so we helped them and uh took the department up leveled it up so to speak a bit hired some more people and started doing well in the department, but I just wasn't happy. Uh, I'm not a, I am not a sit behind the desk, push a pencil guy. I'm a hands-on talk to people, teach people, train people. Let's work on this thing together. Let's turn some wrenches and let's pull some cable. So uh, when they offered me the instructor position, um, it was actually uh, the director of training was a friend of mine. And he said, you know, I'm just going to throw it out. And I know it's not, you know, you're, it's not what you're doing now. It's not what you're making now, but would you like to do this? And there was no conversation. It was yes. Yes, I would. Mm -hmm. And uh, he said, don't you want to hear the particulars? I said, let's work those out later. Like I want to do this thing. So ended up doing this thing. And somebody told me that they're like, Hey, you know, you've been here for three and a half years. And I just kind of looked around and I was like, really? It yeah. feels like yesterday. Okay. Yeah. It has gone by so fast. And I've met so many people and we have been able to like the changes I thought we should implement when I first started 
and got to know the process. We're now making those. And but like, they, I say, Chuck, you feel that it's completely and utterly now that Infocom is a bit, and now you're working on a lot of teams behind the scenes, even, even your latest videos of I gotta do something. And <laughs> it, it, the marketing listeners is let's play with Lego, you know, but you've, you've taken the textbook and you've, you've thrown it out the window and you're doing things in a new innovative way and making audiovisual fun is, is one way I look at it. And do you think it brings me on to my next question? Okay. You, you, you say that you got your, you never went to college, but you, you went through your route by getting into a school that was teaching musicians how to do a bit of audiovisual in the background, so to speak, with sound engineering. Yeah, I, I didn't go to university and the, the high school I went to, um, we had a very, very large concentration on liberal arts, dance and um, drama. And uh, they had, you know, if you went to the classes, you could take things on set making. And my, uh, my instructors were really good about making sure we knew how to do things the right way, making sure we knew how to balance a console. And you were graded on it. So, you know, the, the things that you learn maybe in secondary school or things you learn on the road or things you would learn in a vocational tech, we kind of had a little bit of that going on. So when I, when I got into the Marine Corps and I was 17 years old and said, you mind if I balance that console out by the numbers to get the gain structure right and bring everything up to zero? Because, I mean, if you've ever worked on a console where someone has no idea all the faders are at the bottom, the speakers are hissing and it, it you know, you barely touch a fader and it gets blaring and you just it, it's like it's real sensitive no no it's not like that let me show you what it's really meant for i had some of that instruction mm-hmm. and then so i had a good foundation to build on and then i you know throughout my time in the marine corps i ran i was very fortunate i always say like i forest gump my way through uh, kind of my pro- beginning of my professional um career as a sound guy i uh, was stationed in hawaii and they were building a new Air Force Band in Hawaii, and so we the services support each other. So the Air Force said, "Our stuff isn't here yet. You have good stuff. If you're not going on tour, could we borrow your stuff?" And I said, "Yep, on the on the uh, premise that I can go with you because their sound guys were amazing." And I um, apprenticed with the sound guy. I'd never forget him, Doug Yeager, great guy. Taught me more about math on an audio system than anyone. And again, I'm still a, a young pup at this point. Um, he taught me how to do delay stacks for huge, huge outdoor events. Um, taught me how to measure the ambient temperature of outside to make sure we match up the delay stacks correctly. And, and taught me how to use a cricket and do the math to put in the processors. And, you know, mm-hmm. as, a, as a 23, 24 year old sound guy who's never been to university, who barely made it out of high school. I'm doing logarithmic calculations and, uh, and analyzing this audio system by the number. Was your math good in school? Uh, well, I, I, don't, I don't know. I never really thought about math that much. I skipped out on a lot of classes and kind of got <laughs> C's, but I've always had the idea of math is zero through nine. You yeah. just have to rearrange the numbers differently. Okay. Once you, 
like if that concept really sticks, the things you do with them, the formulas, once you learn the particulars of the formula, like now somebody says, Hey man, I've got a 400 watt amp. If I reduce it to a 100 watt amp, what's that in voltage DB? And I'm like, that's 12 DB. It's just a 20 log calculation. Like it happens in the head because you do it so much. Mm-hmm. And that's all math. You get the key to math is just repetition and doing it and doing it and do it. You know, 400 divided by uh, 100, that's 420 log four. That's double of the double. That's just 12 DB when it's at voltage, double of the double. Yeah. So, it, it, I wasn't particularly good at the math, but the guys that I had training me were well-versed in it and, you know, studying with Tom Care when I was a, a, an installer and studying with Pat Brown, going to SanadCon and all these you, you, you were, excellent teachers. You were in your 20s at the time. How many, how, when you were under an apprentice, were you, you were probably doing this on a day-by-day basis for how long? Maybe a year, two years? Oh, no, this was my job. Okay, so like, yeah. Like, when I was doing sound, like a young sound guy without doing the math, and then when I found somebody to teach me the math, I did it by the math because it was repeatable, because it was quantifiable, and because it wasn't my opinion, and I could do it over and over. And then I could teach guys, and then I would learn more. Um I remember when I was at Quantico and I attended the uh, Air Force's sound clinic, I learned from some great guys in the Air Force again, and they brought guys in from all over and we had sound guys from the military all come in and everything I could learn, I just took to and practiced and practiced and practiced. Just like, like I was saying before in that video game where you, you know, you stay on level one until you master the skill and then you crush it all the way through level 10. And then you stay on level 10 until you master the skills that you need on the next level. I would just do it over and over again until I master that skill. And then I would find a new skill and master that skill. And that's always kind of how I've been is when I do something, I want to make sure I do it 100% and I will fail a thousand times in a row. To find the... Yeah. I will... I am not afraid of failing. I think that's the thing that builds you up is learning from those mistakes and doing it until you get it right. And then you can get it right twice. Mm -hmm. And then you do it twice and you figure it out that you can actually do it a third time and then a fourth time and over and over. And then making that instead of making that a process, you make it a behavior. Mm -hmm. And that's how the way you do things. It, it, your background is just, amazing took in in where you went from military into av and now leading the as a senior instructor with avixa now from some of the other avixa and non-avixa people that i've spoke to in in the last couple of podcasts i've, I've asked the question that in their industry and and their path that they take is there enough choices some people said that they would like to see Avixa doing more with regards to doing courses on sound engineering out of the out of the CTS block, or saying that the CTS doesn't have video editing skills and stuff. What what's what's your thoughts on where you want to take the CTS? I know I know it's a committee. Like let's let's put it out there, listeners. It is a committee that decide the next questions. And you have off mic explained to me how exam questions are tedious in the process of getting them because they're ISO standard and the way you write questions and stuff. 
But do you ever see that it's going to, with audiovisual entering the realms of A or B or video editing, audio editing, it sort of all is audiovisual. So there's a ton of AV in the editing, the production part, we call it. And there's, in every AV discipline, you have things like an install. Mm -hmm. As an installer, you could be a basic installer. You know how to pull cable. You know how to make connectors. You can put up TVs. You can put up cameras, et cetera, et cetera. You can hang a projector. But there are installers that specialize in these things. I know installers uh, like, um, oh, what's the guy's name? I think his name's Neil Graff. Uh, he does screens. He is better at projection screens, knowing the composition of the chemicals that make up the screen, knowing how to repair a tension screen, knowing exactly everything that's involved in this screen. Like the guy's phenomenal. And I've worked with him and he knows everything there is to know about screens. But when it comes to hanging projectors, he says, that's not my thing. So there are disciplines and then there are disciplines within disciplines. I'm a sound guy. I, I will be a sound guy running consoles until the day I die. Mm -hmm. uh, does that mean I am not good at balancing video walls or, or setting up video walls? No, I'm pretty good at that. Uh, I'm pretty good at hanging projectors. I'm pretty good at hanging displays. I am pretty good at project process, designing stuff, the project management, um, all the things that are involved in AV. <clears throat> I've got my hand in a little bit of it. And I, you know, again, if I'm going to do it, I want to do it well but I'm a sound guy. Um, I think you have to learn the basics of things before you figure out what discipline you want. And that's what the CTS kind of does. It's a very broad, very general certification. So if you wanted to go into the install track, you go into installation and you know, you're doing hands-on connectors and things and people say, get the CTSI. The CTSI is so much more than that. Mm -hmm. It's the entire back end of the project. There is commissioning, project management. We go over basic uploading and harvesting of, of code or how to retrieve files from servers, basic networking. The D is not just the design. It's the bid process. It's the needs analysis. It's things that sales guys would need to know to better serve their client. If they really, really, you know, if, if you are like me and you want to get into it to the 10th degree, a sales guy with a D, he's going to know not just my, my parts sheets and the vendors that we use, but he's going to know how I spec a display using discus and the math. So when it gets to things like a sound guy, well, we do a lot of balancing of audio systems in the I course, but that's, that's a, a thimble of what a sound guy would need. And when you want to go into audio recording, you need to know how to run a console. Well, a lot of sound guys try to go into audio recording and that's not their thing. They're not the guys to sit behind the computer. Completely different discipline. And there are already schools for those disciplines. We are not going to recreate the wheel. If there's another school doing it. Right. Just to say Avixa does this. Why would I do that when you could go to any one number of recording schools, of video production schools? Like... I would rather put our members' money into something new 
for something they want us to do. Like I want to go and get my CTSI and learn about commissioning. I have my CTS, the commissioning route is the way I want to go or the project management route, or I want to be a better installer and see what I could do from there. Like I did, I wanted to be a better installer. That's all I wanted to be. And, and do that. And if they say, man, this CTSI class was great, but I want to be a better sound guy. I will recommend a number of schools. Okay. Uh, I've already said one. And uh, I will say it again. Like one of the best instructors I've ever had was Pat Brown. It's an odd con. I don't know if I yeah. get in trouble for jockeys and odd con, but you know what? It's a great school. Okay. They do something totally different from us mm-hmm. and they do it extremely well. So I would tell them, you know what? If you want to go to a sound school, go to a sound school. If you need to learn about the overall AV industry, we got you. If you want to learn about what makes the stuff go from the time design says we're done with our concept and we want to make a construction, go into the eye. Yeah. Okay. Uh, So, yeah, like we're not going to. And that's an interesting way of pitching what Ibix is all about. Um, if if you were to say to a, a young eighteen year old pup that's just after finishing high school and thinking, I want to. Some of the, some people have answered this question, Chuck, and said, "Don't do it." <laughs> if they want to enter the audio bedroom realm, where would you think tell them to start off? If if if. You, if, if you were looking back on Chuck Espinosa just finishing high school at 18 years of age, where would you say to start off if your parents didn't push you into the military? Well, my parents didn't push me. It was my idea. Uh, okay. Totally my, my mom hated the idea. My, uh, my father died when I was young, so he really didn't have a say. Um, young 18-year-old kid. So I've done this a lot. I got a lot of 18-year-old kids that came to me and said, I don't know what to do. And I actually looked for them because um, I know there's a lot of kids that were like me that maybe they didn't want to go to the military, but they weren't going to college. Like I could be working at a, you know, a, a automotive garage right now. Um, I would be the best mechanic you would ever imagine if I was doing it because I'd want to know everything about the cars. If a young 18 year old kid came to me and said, I want to be an AV I would say, get into truck. Let's go. And I'm going to show you what AV is all about. So, so become an apprentice to and carry the gear. Yep. Do the hard work. The, the best AV technicians, engineers, designers, sales guys, the guys that I know that are, you know, you open up Twitter and you see people posting things that are just prolific about, uh, these AV postings, and there's a lot of CTSI, CTSDs. There's some people who have no credential whatsoever, and they're still amazing. Um, they started off, you know, loading boxes. They started off pulling cables. They started off not even pulling the cables. They started off loading the cables into the truck and riding along with the truck and unloading and watching other people pull cable. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't. I don't care if you have the knowledge. That's my job to give you the knowledge. All I need is the character and the work ethic. And if you say you want to be the best at what you do, I will teach you. And there's a lot of other AV people in this industry that will teach you. 
And if you say, I want to learn how to be the best whatever person, I want to learn how to hang projectors better than anyone else. I want to learn how to sell AV solutions or provide AV solutions better than anyone. You know what? Find a great sales guy. Go to the show or ask around and there are phenomenal account managers and relationship builders there. If you want to find great designers, get online. There's all over the place. You type audiovisual design. There are, man, I can name 20 or 30 off the top of my head mm -hmm. and find them. And you know what? If they're not in your town and that's really what you want to do, move. Yeah. If you want to do that, do it. You have, if, you have to follow where the road is. Yeah. Going. Yeah. And if, and if you don't like, I mean, I, I guarantee there's one in your town and if you don't like what you're doing and you want to do something else, do that. I can't tell how many people I've said, you know, you're not happy doing what you're doing. What do you really want to do? Do that. If it's an AV, cool. If it's not, if your passion's somewhere else, if you're an AV and you're like, man, this just isn't for me. Well, number one, you're never going to get out. Once you get like AV, yeah. you're, you're going to be a carpenter somewhere and they're going to say, Hey, we got to wire this house for that. And you're like, no, no, don't use tie wraps on the category cable <laughs> and the AV will come back. So you'll never get away from it, yeah. but do what makes you happy. Do what you want to be good at, not what you're good at, what you want to be good at, because then you will be good at it. Your passion will drive you. And you've said, you've mentioned one amazing, what you consider amazing sound engineering and sound course and college. Do you, have you come across any college where you just gone, right, that's one that's actually giving a course that puts it on the mark. I, like, I, I know we've talked, Chuck, about will Avixa ever go down and get more involved with more universities and start offering this as a degree or as a master's degree in audiovisual. And even looking across on the Irish spectrum, like myself and my co-host Simon, we, we, we both study two different subjects. He studied sound engineering. I studied TV and radio production, but we both ended up in audiovisual. Do you ever see that there's going to be an out and out course that might be linked with Avixa that will that will do what it says on the tin? Well, there's a couple courses right now that are actually embracing um, the offerings we have. Uh, in Chicago, Columbia University has an AV course. Um, as far as I know, there's no straight up like bachelor's degree in audio video, but there are some associates degrees. Uh, you get degrees from Full Sail and from some of the other. Uh, two-year unis. Um, we are working with Columbia. They do actually use uh, a lot of our curriculum. Um, Valencia College down in I believe, Florida, Sheffield College in Maryland. And we have just recently, within the last couple of years, uh, had a position, created a position for director of uh, workforce outreach, I believe they call it. And he goes to these different universities and colleges and talks to these places and you know we tr we are trying little by little to get av into the higher education space and into the uh high school space with apprentices or showing what high school kids like like this guy and like a lot of the guys that i've uh a lot of the guys and gals that i've tutored that came out of high school and apprentice with me 
Like they're, they don't want to go to uni. They just, they want to, they want to hit. Yeah. Yeah. They want to go to work. They want to just start working and they see me and they're like, man, you didn't go to high school. I want that. And I said, okay, that's right there. What you have to do is want it and get it. And they usually end up my apprentice and, uh, uh, I've got apprentices right now. Literally, I talked to one the other day. I don't know if anybody knows A.V. Biscuit Bandit, man. That boy, he was one of the 40 under 40 this year. Okay. Um, I'm going to brag on this this kid yeah. for a while. A.V. AV Biscuit Bandit came to me when he was 17 years old, apprenticed with me for a couple of years, and he learned it the hard way, like the the real hard way. He went through the school of hard knocks and experience. And now AV Biscuit Bandit, uh, Caleb is, um, he's a high level service technician for a company here. And I mean, this dude bought his own house a couple of years ago at like 23 years old, bought his own house. He has a, a very high government clearance and he's got a career and he's been working on manufacturer certifications. He's studying for his eye, like, He's got his head screwed on straight, man. It, uh, it, it brings me on to that question, Chuck. How important is manufacturer certification when you're trying to level up, uh, as you call it, and get involved in the audiovisual industry? Should you be doing that alongside the likes of your CTS and your CTSI? Well, yeah. I mean, that's a tool. All these certifications, tools in your toolbox. Uh, if you work with a specific manufacturer and they have stuff that they, the technical stuff that you need to know about their equipment, it's not the certification, it's the knowledge. You go to these cert courses and you get the cert at the end, it's the knowledge. And if you let that cert lapse or if you let that cert, just the knowledge fall by the wayside, the cert's useless. Like I don't, I've told a lot of people this, I really don't care about the certs, I care about the knowledge. If you're a, uh, a CTS XYZ, but you just don't study anymore and you do your, you know, one or two courses every three years to get your RUs and you just kind of do things your own way and you're not studying about the new technologies. Like your knowledge is going to the wayside. Your certs are useless. Mm -hmm. It's the knowledge. But most of these guys to get these things, they know by the time you get them, they're like, oh man, my quest for knowledge led me to this goal. I have to have the next quest. Mm -hmm. And during that time, you build up more certs. I didn't try, I wasn't like a cert hunter. I didn't try getting certs just for the, the, the glory of getting certs. I wanted the knowledge mm -hmm. and I still do. And that's another thing I try to uh, impress on all my apprentices, all students at AV community. Get the knowledge, man. You get the knowledge. Knowledge is power. Share it. Share that knowledge with everybody. Mm -hmm. share it with the AV community. If somebody has a problem and you have that solution, share it with them. And I don't care if it's a competitor share it with them. We're all one community. Yeah. Um, I, I think you've hit a nail on the head there, Chuck. If you try and keep the knowledge to yourself, you're just limiting yourself out of the realms of the AV community. Yeah. There's a Pat Brown again. I'm going to, I'm going to, talk about Pat Brown because he's one of my favorite instructors ever in the entire world. Mm -hmm. He told me something one time that I will never forget. And I tell this to a lot of people. He, we talked about synergy and he gave me this analogy. He said, synergy, think about it like this. If I have a dollar 
and you have a dollar and I give you my dollar or a pound where you're at, right? There's a little exchange rate goes on. But if I give you my dollar, you would walk away with $2. Mm -hmm. If you gave me your dollar and I had my dollar, I would walk away with $2. But the person that didn't have any dollars isn't better off. They're actually worse. But synergy's great because if I have an idea and you have an idea, and I give you my idea and you give me your idea, we walk away with two ideas. Mm -hmm. And if everybody had that, that same mindset, like we would be so much more proficient, so much better as a community. If we exchanged our ideas, like I'll tell everybody, Justin and I were sitting here talking for like an hour prior to this podcast, good old friends having good old, just talking and like if we had a couple cold ones it would be perfect um that's and why i love when chuck is back in ireland well, I don't <laughs> this guy enough you know i i and you you talk about apprentices i don't, i think chuck if you were to open up on facebook or social media after the show and say hey guys i'm opening up an apprentices to come and work with Chuck, it'd be like opening up the golden ticket for Willie Wonka's <laughs> chocolate factory. I mean, I know so many people that want to work with you. I want to work with them too. I really do. That's why I come to Ireland. That's why I come to the UK because I don't, I don't look at the class as me teaching a group of people. I truly look at it as we're sharing time and ideas. Mm -hmm. I just have a roadmap full of ideas that I want to talk about. And I really do learn as much from the class as they do from me. Mm. And, um, and that, that's what makes a great instructor. I'm going to, I'm going to throw some funny questions to close off this podcast, Chuck. You know, I'm going to just say the one time where you, you went into where we call it the, the poo hits the fan. What, what, what has been a moment in your order visual life where you just went, oh crap, I, I'm hitting a brick wall here. I don't know how to fix this. And I have a load of people looking at me. Oh man, there's been so many of them. Um, there has been literally hundreds, maybe even thousands of time when it hit the fan and somebody looks at me and be it my project or somebody else's project. And those are the moments when the rubber meets the road. Those are the moments when your training takes over, just like in the military, when it hits the fan, your training takes over. And the only way you can come up with the solution is having a mastery of concept. Mm -hmm. So if I can, if, if I can get these six different concepts and jam them together for a solution, that's what I'm going to do. But if I don't have the mastery of those concepts, you can't make that solution or an effective solution. You make a bad solution. Um, and you know what? If it really hits a fan that bad, if something just the ball got dropped and it is just there and it's your fault, you take it. You just say, you know what? My bad. And then you fix it. Mm -hmm. And that's, again, one of those like you're playing the video game and your character's getting smashed and you died, you respawn. Well, you know what? You just learned an a valuable lesson. No, you don't, again. don't yeah. well, no, 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 I'm going to do it again because I want to know how to beat it. Yeah. I want to figure out what other tools I need. I want to figure out what other skills I need. Um, 
I used to debate with a, a guy who's in, uh, who's very deep in Vixie, Peter Coleman, good friend of mine now. Um, we are both very passionate about our things. But back in the early of the AV industry, uh, we used to do a lot of things that Big C didn't like, or it was not really in conjunction with what they consider best practice, putting, you know, mm -hmm. connectors on the ends of, of cable, just pulling them through the wall instead of making punch down blocks. And, and uh, Peter and I got into a big ar heated argument one time over the phone and cause I did it like an AV guy. And once I finally learned why they did it that way for bandwidth, for crosstalk, testing everything, certifying everything, and not just, put in an 8P8C end or RJ45 as we call it end on a piece of cable coming out of the wall point to point. Once I realized what it was for, like I ate crow and I found Peter at ISE and this is what made us great friends is I found him at ISE and just said, hey dude, I'm wrong. Like I own it and I will tell AV people why this is supposed to happen this way. Like I get it. I get you. You know more information and you were trying to press it on me. And um and that's that's a key thing, Chuck. It's admitting that like you're not the master yeah. of 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 anything. You know, no matter how much you do, you know, everyone makes mistakes. Okay, what has been an absolute stomach rolling funny moment in your life with A V support? A V support. Oh, there's been tons of them. Um I, Looking at it from both places, from the customer or from the person that actually provided the support, like as a customer, I've walked into places where the AV support guy is sitting in the back playing video games and like there's feedback going on and uh, <laughs> clients are like beating on the, the starfish and, and the guy's just got his headphones on. And I walk into a room because I just heard feedback and I was in another group and I'm like, you want me to help you with that? And I literally walked over to the guy popped one of his uh earbuds out and he looked up and everybody was looking at him and i'm like you might want to fix that and there was feedback and static and like people were yelling and he had no clue <laughs> because he um, just had his headphones in yeah yeah just like hanging out and you know if you're in the industry long enough you see a lot of these just uh both ways things that make your stomach drop things that make you you just want to laugh and laugh and laugh um and it's just that's what they call experience after a while right bad judgment makes uh hard lessons and hard lessons makes good experience and good experience makes better judgment mm -hmm. now if you had one final message to like you say the the 18 year old or the young person thinking of entering into audiovisual what would you give it doesn't matter what you do in av in anything in life uh give it your all do it to the best of your ability if you're going to shovel poop in a horse stable be the best poop shoveler there is if you're going to clean toilets, clean, be the best toilet cleaner. Uh, if you're going to build rocket ships, be the best rocket ship builder there is. Bricklayer, cement pour, carpenter, study, and not just brag on the things you did. Figure out what you could do better every single day because uh, 
we have a short lifetime on this earth. So if you're going to do something, do it to the best of your ability. And that includes if you're going to be a good husband, if you're going to be a good father, if you're going to be a good policeman, do it. Mm -hmm. And there's going to be times when you're going to have to be a father and a husband and a, a worker all at the same time. You know what? Give your all, give a hundred percent to everything because your kids will remember the five minutes that you spent with them giving a hundred percent. And your wife will remember the two hours that you spent with her giving a hundred percent. And your job will remember this, however much time you spent giving a hundred percent. And if you go to any one of those and give them 20, they will remember that too. Mm -hmm. so no matter what you do in life wherever you go whatever you do treat it like it's your last day on earth treat it like there is no tomorrow and give it everything you possibly got rise grind repeat lovely love that type of quote took as always i've taken up a lot of your time when you are absolutely crunching videos in the background for Victor and <laughs> um, I'm getting back to it. any any secret information of what's to come with the Vixa that you can share with our listeners or oh man I have so much secret information the first thing I'll tell you is it's a secret it's a secret yeah but I we were talking off mic all I can say guys is you need to get on board and and start doing some of these online courses if you want to be involved with the audiovisual industry. I might be biased because I'm heavily involved with the victim myself, but you know, if you're gonna learn and you're gonna train up, um, Evixa is the place, as a global industry, Evixa is the place to start. So I can't wait to see you at ISE. Yeah. Oh yeah, man, I'm so looking forward to ISE. Um, we're gonna be uh, uh, making appearances a bunch of other places. We got a bunch of other classes going on. We're gonna be up in the UK, uh, I think before ISE. If you are interested, or if you just don't know where to go, uh, look me up on Twitter at Mad Sound Guy, on Facebook at Mad Sound Guy, on LinkedIn Chuck Espinoza. And from uh, time to time, you do the AV Props podcast when you get time to sit in the room <laughs> yeah. and do do a podcast and talk some AV tech as well. But on rare occasions, I, I have to add. Yeah, yeah. The AV Pros podcast went away for a little while. It might come back. It might not. It depends on how many times I, uh, Marcus and I end up going to Europe. Um, it's kind of hard to do a podcast when you're always on a plane. Mm-hmm. Um, but when it comes to, you know, the getting out and meeting people, the seriously, the instructors here, that's one of our favorite things is to do in live training, just to go out and meet our community, go out and share some time and, and talk AV. I, mean, I get, I get paid to talk to people about AV. Seriously. It is the best job. It's like doing this right now, this podcast, yeah. but I get paid for it. Yeah. I, I love those. I, I, I just, I just, I've spent like two hours away from my family. So, <laughs> <laughs> but i love i love talking to this guy chuck as always thank you so much uh, if you're over in england you've got to tell me when you're over in england i'll try and find some way of getting across or something like that i will i will let you know if i'm if i'm coming across the pond at any point in time uh i will definitely let you know and uh everybody can find us at avixa and find me at mad sound guy and 
So listeners, that's all we have time for for this episode of All Things Techie. Um, thank you for tuning in to our October edition. Don't forget, we have special uh, editions of the podcast that we are calling um, whether it be episode 4A, 4B, 4C, these are just individual interviews that we've had with audiovisual folk who told me how they got involved in audiovisual. And if you'd like to listen back to them, you can find them on iTunes and on our website, allthingstech.ie for All Things Techie. Until the November edition, we won't be telling you who we have as a special guest yet. It's going to be a big surprise. Stay tuned. Thank you for tuning in and uh, we'll see you very soon. All Things Techie Podcast, brought to you by two tech junkies, Justin Dawson and Simon Lang. For more, visit www.allthingstech.ie for all things techie.